Hi there, this is Michael F. Shine. I am the author of The Hype Handbook and the president and founder of the marketing agency, Microfame Media. Today on the show, we are going to talk about how to get everything you want out of life by making mischief, why mastering the art of manipulation in a benevolent way is the key to success, and why the best way you can make the world a better place is by becoming a hype artist. Welcome to another delicious episode of Curiosity Bites, the most binge-worthy podcast on the internet. If you'd like to join in the conversation about today's show or about any of our past shows, you can simply go find Curiosity Bites page on Facebook. We're right there. So my name is Dov Barron. I'm your host. And if you're curious about me or what it is I do, you can simply go over to DovBarron.com. So here's what I'm curious about. What do you think Donald Trump... Mother Teresa, the Sex Pistols, and Sigmund Freud's nephew have in common. Well, that's the rabbit hole we're about to enter into on this delicious series of episodes on Curiosity Bites. So grab a beverage. I got mine. Find a, find a cozy corner because my guest today is Michael F. Shine. He is a kindred spirit. Uh, we are both deeply curious about everything from propaganda to cults from punk movement to cognitive sciences. Michael is the founder and president of Microfame Media, a marketing agency that specializes in making idea-based companies famous in their field. Some of his clients have included eBay, um, Magento, the Medici Group, um, the University of Pennsylvania, United Methodist Publishing House, University of California, Irvine, Citrix, and LinkedIn. He has written uh, for all kinds of outlets. He's appeared in Fortune, Forbes, Inc., Psychology Today, The Huffington Post. He's also an in-demand speaker internationally, when everybody's on flights, that is, um, to audiences spanning from the northeast of the United States all the way to the southeast coast of China. He's absolutely fantastic book. This book is amazing. It was published by McGraw-Hill and is titled The Hype Handbook. It is superb. I highly recommend it. So much so that I'm still going through it again right now. So it's a fabulous book. It's like I said, it's called The Hype Handbook. It's 12 indispensable success secrets from the world's greatest propagandists, self-promoters, cult leaders, mischief makers, and boundary breakers. Ladies and gentlemen, please put your hands together and help me to welcome the manifesto of Mr. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Hello, London. Hello, Australia. Rocking the Casbah. We're rocking the Casbah. <laughs> It's good to have you on, mate. I'm really looking forward to this conversation because, as I said in the intro, you know, you and I have a lot of, lot of uh, interests that are in common. But I want to start where I always start the show, which is asking you, what do you find yourself curious about right now? In other words, what's the biggest question you find yourself looking for an answer to? It's funny when you are involved in promoting a book because by the time you've promoted the book a lot of times your mind has moved on to the next project and other things i understand so, yeah so <laughs> while all of the things we're going to talk about hype and everything else um it's a lifelong 
passion and a lifelong source of curiosity, mm -hmm. I always place little side bets and explore little areas I'm curious about that have nothing to do with my business. So lately, I've been really interested in um, immersive media and alternative reality games. I think there's something in, in especially when the pandemic ends, in this world that's between technology and in-person um, meetings that that the immersive theater world has dealt with and the alternative reality games has dealt with that has only just scratched the surface i think it's going to be a big thing and, and it hasn't yet blown up so that's what i've been just kind of messing around with in my creative lab and been really interested in yeah that is actually uh, fascinating because you know one of the things about covid about the pandemic was that it it pushed i have often said this we were pushed five years into the future 10 years right. into the future right. because of that demand um and you know some people clung and hung on to the past and others have really sort of embraced it and i've been talking to uh, a lot of uh, you know right in your neighborhood uh, new york uh, broadway producers and yeah. you know, of course broadway didn't get uh, didn't get hit by the pandemic it got eviscerated I mean, and i i have a friend who who who's very big deal in in broadway and spent his whole life climbing that ladder and his industry disappeared overnight it was terrifying yeah absolutely is this somebody who was a producer no he uh, in um, an orchestrator a, a, a music person so had, had really at the top of his game yeah. all kinds of royalties you know clinging on making it happen get picking sure. up jobs but went from like top of the world award shows to like i don't know if i have an industry and i don't know when this is ending isn't it amazing yeah and it really teaches the fragility of clinging when we need to be completely always looking at how we can explore. It's it's fascinating. And theater is just one side of it. You're absolutely right. So here's where I want to get into uh, as a at a heart and soul level. If you had to really pick, are you a writer or a punk or something else? <laughs> I'm a writer. I mean, you know, it's it's funny. I own a business and I never thought I would own a business or be involved in business. And I really like business. Um, the punk thing, you know, I don't even know what that means anymore. I mean, that was the kind of music I grew up liking, but um, and that aesthetic sort of underpins everything I do. That being said, like, what is punk, you know, in 2021? It's just another oh. musical genre, you know, right? Yeah. Um, but yeah, I've wanted to be a writer um, since I was probably five. I mean, I read early in first grade. They had this teacher who came in to have us write stories and mine were always made people laugh. I, I always admired writers. So even my business, you know, some people love the game of business. Like I talk to these entrepreneurs and 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 it's, it's about business. It's about, yeah. I mean, if there was an opportunity in sheet metal, but they could do it in a cool, creative way, they would sell sheet metal. For me, business is a tool to get my ideas out in the world. And those ideas have always had words attached to them. So yeah, I think at my heart of hearts, I'm a writer and always have been. Yeah. And as a, as a writer, do you think that writer sort of influenced your movement into music or music influence? Yeah, I mean, you said that writing was very early, but did it did it move you into music? Because it's interesting that you went from, you know, being an aspiring writer, even at a young age, to being a musician and going back to writing. What was it about 
music that was originally pulling for you? I don't think I'm a good musician. And I've thought about this. But you said since, that in the book. Yeah. <laughs> you said, I, but, I'm a B, B-rate musician and I can yeah. barely sing. But you oh, didn't I, have to I, sing if you're a punk. <laughs> no, but I played with guys a lot better than me. But But I bring that up because, you know, I've always thought of rock and roll which is not as popular as it used to be. But growing up, that was the sort of dominant form of music, rock music. Mm -hmm. I don't think it's really music. I think it's theater as much as music. I mean, mm -hmm. I, I think that, you know, if you go, like I saw the Scottalites, which were this Jamaican, the first ska band. They're just like these Jamaican. And they wore like mesh caps and like whatever. Like they, they just were like playing music. There was no they had no there was nothing about how they looked, what the stage show was. Jazz players are the same. I mean, rock music is about the story. That's why you can have bands like Devo or Bowie or all of this stuff. So at Kiss. So I loved music because when I was growing up, I think even more than now, the type of music you were in was really your identity. It was your tribe. I mean, yes. it was it, you, you would like dislike people who didn't like other kinds, different kinds of music, which is really not the case now, right? And so I wanted to... I had to, even then, it was about the songwriting. There was an, it, we were called, my band, we, we called ourselves the Apocalyptic Party Band. We had a big stage show. So even then, I didn't think of it this way, but it really was about the writing. You know, I, 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 I know enough guitar to like write songs, but I hated practicing. And I thought that was because I was a little bit lazy, but I can write every single, I write most days of my life and it doesn't feel like practice. Whereas right. guitar playing, I'm like, oh, okay, when is this hour over? So I can like learn. Right. So I think that shows you sort of where my heart is. So I think it's always been about ideas and writing. Even, so, even there's this, so there's this interesting combo here because you're talking, which of course ties in beautifully to what you do, which is the, there is the writing, obviously that is the foundational piece and then underneath that, you've got, um, you know, music, but it's actually theater. It's actually yeah. about the show. And I know that, you know, people like uh, Bowie were a big influence on you. Yeah. I, mm -hmm. uh, I I saw Bowie when I was 15. Uh, oh, wow. I, saw, How was that? I saw Bowie three times. I saw, I saw Ziggy Stardust, Aladdin Insane, oh, and wow. Young Americans. So all three tours. Those are my so favorite. Young That's my favorite really era. That's What's cool. That? Oh yeah. That's, I mean, I'll, I'll tell you a side note story since it's yeah. that kind of show. I've tried to see Bowie twice and it never worked out. So the first show I was outside at the Roseland ballroom and you saw him during his heyday. He was already, yeah. you know, I don't know if for Bowie, it's always a heyday, but you saw him yeah. during like the Ziggy Stardust era, but I was outside the show and they canceled the show while I was standing outside. They said he had a flu. So or strep throat. So then I went back in Florida a couple of years later and I saw the opening band and then they put up a curtain and it was just forever. And we we're like, what is going on? And it turned out a stagehand had fallen off of the rafters and died and oh they canceled God. the show. And yeah, so I, uh, which was horrible, but I, I've tried to see Bowie twice and have never seen him live. Wow. <laughs> so you yeah. never actually made it. Yeah, I can clearly remember I went and you know, you're talking about, you know, genres of music and, and fans and tribes. I went to a my first to 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 see uh, Ziggy. Um, and I was dressed as Ziggy, you know, I, cool. had, yeah. I had that was color of my background. Right? <laughs> yeah. 
um, you know, and I had um, a, a silver lame top on, <laughs> right, with bell sleeves, That's and cool. I was there with a mate of mine who was a full blown and a huge guy, uh, big skinhead. He was my mate, oh, wow. and he was a skinhead because all my mates were always across different. That's part of my sort of my brand is that I, you know, I've studied lots of different things across different areas, but my friends have always been like that. So I had this mate who was a full blown bubba boot skinhead. But that was liked, before the skinheads were before the national front Nazis took them over. Right. That's when yeah, it was like, just like a, a, a subculture. Yeah. The, 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 it was, it was co-opted by the, by the, right, exactly. but initially yeah. it was, it was it was a movement. I mean, if you right. want to understand uh, what was that uh, movie? It's come out. Of, it's gone out of my head right now. With Sting, he was in it. Um, it was like a mod thing, right? Like Quadrophenia, yeah. Like Quadrophenia, yeah. Right. But it was it was so they were the they were suede heads, and before right. them was the skinheads, right? And right. so suede heads had a haircut like me, like right. super short, like you, right? right. So, um, and so I was there with this big skinhead, and Bowie took off his shirt. And he threw it into the audience, right? And it came near us, and some guy grabbed it. My big skinhead mate went boom, punched him <laughs> in the coconut, took it, and gave me a piece of it, and he took a piece That's of it. That's awesome. So there's this skinhead holding a gold lame shirt. That's so right? funny. That's a great From story. Bowie and giving me a piece, and I treasured it. I kept it on a top shelf in my home, and my brother stole it and sold it to a Bowie fan down the street. Oh, what a jerk, man. That, that's reason to, for, to cut your brother out of your life right there. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. But, you know, but again, Bowie's, Bowie is the, was the male version of Cher. Uh, Madonna is a, is a sort of my, another version of it. And these are yeah. people who understand the theater of music. Yeah. And, you know, just to stay in that music world for a minute, you know, let's look at somebody like for me, I think the the best version of that ever, the person who did it better than anybody, who understood it better than anybody, was Malcolm McLaren. Now, Malcolm, oh yeah, yeah. Malcolm he's McLaren a, he's, was a dick. I studied him in, like crazy. Yeah. He was Sorry, a dick in real life. Everybody who knew him said he was a horrible human being. Yeah. But he understood this. You know, when he created Adam and the Ants, when he was behind the pistols, when he was, you know all those bands and even uh even bow wow wow and all you know nina cherry and all those bands sorry i'm a music freak but, yeah no um, i love this right yeah. but you know he understood that it was about the marketing adamant you know we saw adamant here two years ago he came back on a That's tour cool. yeah. so we went, oh yeah gotta go see him it was awful oh my god it was terrible we walked out it was so bad yeah, yeah. this guy's gotta hang it up after all but you know malcolm mclaren is a great example of what i call hype and how yes. i distinguish it from marketing because people think of hype as this negative thing yeah and it can be of course marketing people focus a lot on the like tools and tactics what I love about Malcolm McLaren and people like that is that the hype actually added color to the work. So in other words, people are like, oh, it's a bunch of hot air. We're hyping things up. But when Malcolm McLaren assembled this band of crazy people, had them curse on the air, had them do all this stuff, it wasn't like, oh, it's a piece of garbage that he's hyping up. It's it actually, the marketing, as you called it, and the art, the hype and the art were one in the same. They were yes. indistinguishable. And I think that's, this is a nuance that's hard to get across in most interviews because we don't have that much time to delve in. But the idea that hype can be a force for good, that it 
can actually add color, that it's not just that you're creating this work and, oh man, I have to promote it. That certain kinds of work and certain kinds of promotion are really symbiotic and make each other better. So, so talk to us a little bit more about that because you're absolutely right. I think that even the word hype has a, a negative connotation. Sure. Um, but we're now talking about hype as an art, right? Or, or as an, or as if not an art, an expression of the art, whatever the art is. You know, you talk about Andy Warhol in the book, and you know, and Jamie, our friend Jamie Mustard, talks about Warhol in his book. Um, you know, that idea of, of it being an extension, I, I think that a lot of people sort of get purist and go, oh, well, I can't do that. I can't market myself because I'm an artist, right? And then we look at people who are, who are marketers, who are marketing an artist, whether it's themselves or another, right. and they're blowing up all over the place. And they're not even close to as good. I see that all the time, Michael. So because they're drawing a distinction. The right. So let's use an example. You used Warhol, but I want to use a, a different example that's more sure. business oriented. Mark Echo. So the guy who created Echo Clothing. So yes. this is a guy who is 100% a businessman, meaning that he runs an empire. He runs every facet of the business. But that being said, every single day, he spends at least a little bit of time in his studio, which used to be a garage, painting or just making art. So this is somebody who, from the very beginning, saw no distinction between the hype and the work. And he comes right. out of the hip-hop community. So he would design these really cool, this kind of streetwear clothing. But from the earliest days, he would do these things called swag bombs where he would put together like a, a, a personally spray painted shirt, hat, whatever. And he would send it without expecting anything in return to like, I don't know, Kanye West, Russell Simmons, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And usually nothing came of it, but then like Kanye West wore one of his things and he didn't print it. He did it by hand. And as a result, what happened was, of course, that's good for business, sure. but the shirt became associated with Kanye, who is an artist. So it enhanced Kanye's look and it enhanced all of the associations with the shirt. So it wasn't just like, hey, we're doing our Kanye West sponsorship. It was this self-reinforcing loop that made everything better. Because a lot of what we think of as art or, and I'm going to say art, because anything can be art. If you're, yes. you know, um, yep. And, and Seth Godin talks about that, right? How anything can be art, even your business. But um, ultimately, it's the associations that matter more than anything, especially in, in consumer brands. I mean, it's one thing if you're selling business to business software, although some of these things still apply, many of them do. But I don't know, Nikes are just sports shoes are they better than Reeboks for ankle support maybe I don't know you know mm. but it's all the associations that come with Nike that yeah. make it Nike yes. or the Campbell soup can that Andy Warhol painted is it a well-painted Campbell soup can I guess I mean Rembrandt probably could have done it better I mean you know but mm. it's all that stuff that's attached to it so I think the dichotomy is very very artificial in the modern world anyway between hype and and art and business I, I see them as intersecting circles 
Yeah, the sort of a Venn diagram that overlaps. Yeah, right, that's but, exactly. But again, there's still that that negative connotation sure. around the idea of hype, you know. Um, and I think that the way we have to distinguish it is, is this, is this noise or attention for the purpose of attention versus yeah. for the purpose of, this is my opinion, it's not the truth. Right? Yeah. Is, it, is it for the purpose of attention or is it for the purpose of exp um, exploring and expanding something into the world? You know, so I think that that's quite a difference. You know, it's a difference between uh, a Hollywood movie birth and a real birth, right? One is for effect yeah. in a movie and the other one is to bring a child into the world. Those are quite different things. I agree. And I would go a step farther. I would Good. say that, you know, if someone wants to get attention just to get attention, okay. I mean, that's a pretty neutral thing. However, what I would go a step farther and say that these strategies, the, the strategies I call hype, I write about them in the book. And I want to yeah. say, I use that word on purpose. I could have said promotion, whatever. I, I used it because it's negative. I mean, I want to really draw attention to the fact yeah. that this negative thing is not a negative thing at all. It's amoral, meaning yeah. there are certain ways that human beings in groups, especially react and, yeah. and move that and get moved to action and get emotional and irrational. It, they just are. There, there's no debating that yeah. whether you want to believe it or not, human beings don't process the world rationally. So you can use that to get attention to get attention. You know, the Kardashians use that to get attention to get attention. Was that good? Was that bad? Nah, it was just whatever. It was attention seeking people. Right. You can use that to create cool stuff like Malcolm McLaren and Andy Warhol. You can use and get attention for that. And that's just what I consider cool and you consider cool. You can use that to create a cult and hurt a lot of people. Mm -hmm. And you can use it to, to be, as you said, Martin Luther King or Mother Teresa and attract attention to really important causes. But the underlying mass psychology is, if you extracted the content out, it's just identical, practically identical. Yeah, and, and that's where I want to go in the next part of the show, because I think that this is a vitally important thing is to understand that the the laws of hype as you know as you've laid them out here are so they are neutral but they're you know it's like when i studied chole fat and wing chun when i studied martial arts when i studied NLP. i knew wing chun yeah okay yeah. Cool. okay <laughs> so when i more things we have in common uh, yeah. so, but when i when i studied those things and i studied nlp and i became a master practitioner of nlp um you know i heard the same same rhetoric and the rhetoric was this this can be used for harm and danger or this can be used for good 100%. it's neutral it is not bad it is not good so somebody can take this and make it bad somebody can take this and make it good and in the next part i really want to get into you know these examples on either side of that that are exactly the same laws yeah because one of the things that i've talked about and we're going to get into it is in my work is that um I'm very much, and you probably may have even seen it in some of my articles, I'm very much, there's an article I wrote recently called um, Monotony, Monotony or Meaning. And it's about how we um, are afraid of anger. And so we'll end up living monotonous lives. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And anger is actually the thing that changes the world. If mm -hmm. you don't get pissed off enough, nothing changes. That's and the people right. who make a difference get pissed off. And as a result, they create, quote, a hype. 
and they do that through enemies and we'll talk about that in as we get into the show because yeah. i just think that that's a really important piece as we come towards the end of this um this first part of the show i want to make sure that people know where to find you where to find the book where to get all of those things and we'll mention it uh, throughout the show anyway but let's just hand that over to you and let you tell our audience where they can find about you the book etc yeah thank thanks for letting me plug that's always this sensitive thing where you you know so it's great when the host uh well the truth of the matter is that this is this is this is as i said it's a great book I love your work. I love Thank your you. writing. They're, they're fabulous. Like I said, you know, you and I are uh, brothers from another mother. We've got yeah, a lot of sure. weird a lot things of in common. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I want people to actually read this book. I, I, you know, I plugged the hell out of Jamie's book because I really believed in it. And it's the mm-hmm. same with this one. Well, thanks. So, yeah, I mean, you know, the the book is is published by McGraw Hill, so it's in in the typical places. I mean, obviously, the easiest place to get it is Amazon. You know, just type in the hype hand book, but they're floating around the bookstores too. If you ever get to bookstores, um, you know, in, in regards to 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 me, I mean, my company is microfamemedia.com. My website is uh, Michael F Shine, spelled S C H E I N dot com. The best way to keep in touch with me, though, um, I have this thing called the Hype Book Club. It used to be called the Hype Book List. I stole the idea from Ryan Holiday, but I made it sinister. So I'm always reading these crazy books about, you know, these these uh, twisted biographies and weird cognitive psychology books. And if I come across one that's extremely helpful, but also entertaining, I throw it on this list every once in a while and send it out. And um, the thing is, it comes directly from my email. So people will respond to me and I'll email them back and we create a dialogue. So it's become a little community. So it's hypereads.com. Uh, hype and reads. reads. Yeah. Just sign up there and you'll get the, uh, the list. Oh, that's very cool. What was the last one you recommended? Gosh, Do remember? I don't remember the order. I do them relatively frequently. I'm trying to think... Um, We'll just pull one off. That's all right. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I recommended um, a book uh, called um, Trust Me. Well, this was one of the early ones and everyone who sure. signs up gets it. But speaking of Ryan Holiday, there's a book called Trust Me, I'm Lying, which is is his story of how he became this hype artist. And on the same list, I uh, have this book called The Crowd by Gustav Laban, which is this old, old book from 1895 where this guy saw the paris commune um which was this sort of proto-communist group that meant well in the beginning but ended up burning paris to the ground for no real reason and um he dedicated his life to figuring out like why crowds have this mob mentality and and um it was considered the first book of crowd psychology and actually i was watching the first trump debate but when no one thought he would win and reading this book at the same time. And I kid you not, I, I was convinced he was going to win. And it wasn't any stroke of brilliant. I mean, they would say things in this book like crowds are attracted to external signifiers of prestige. When prestige is not available, money will do. Crowds are associated with crowds are very attracted to empty, pith, like I forget how he says it, but empty, pithy, future focused sound bites that you can put your own meaning into. And it was like, I think this guy could win. And and it, and you know what happened. So well, yeah. I do, because I predicted the same thing. And yeah. I, I wrote an article called Decoding Trump at the same time and used some of the things that, you know, I talked about some of the things that you've laid out in the book because it was so clear to me, right? So clear to me. 
but we'll come back to all of that yeah. in the next part. So thank you for joining us for part one of this delicious episode of Curiosity Bites with Michael F. Shine. He is the author of The Hype Handbook. There you go. Oops, wrong direction. There you go. <laughs> you can find that on uh, you can find that on all the usual places. And uh, as Michael gave you, you can you can track him down across social media and all those kinds of places. We're going to be back in a moment. We're just one click away from the next episode. We'll see you in part two. Stay curious, my friends. Stay curious.